Welcome into the Clap Trap. Brought to you by Ultrasound Productions. Now also playing on 90.7 WKKL. All right, welcome into another episode of the Clap Trap. This is going to be a tough episode today, coming off of a brutal Patriots loss on Thursday night football. We're going to try and get through it the best we can. I'm frustrated, people. That's going to be the word of the day. Frustration is going to be the biggest problem uh, with us right now, just because dealing with this team, dealing with this Patriots team, after what they've shown us, the roller coaster ride of emotions as Patriots fans that we've had, it's it's reaching places where I was hoping it would never go. I was hoping that they would be able to fix things, right the ship, figure figure out what they had to do to get this team going in the right direction. But it's obvious that we can't. It's obvious that this Patriots team is still nowhere near where they need to be to compete against a team like the Bills, to compete against the top-tier teams in this league. I'm sure that's not a surprise to a lot of people. Uh, a lot of Patriots fans have jumped ship a long time ago, and this is no shocker to them. But, I mean, pl- playing the way that they have over the last two, three weeks, even being in it against a team like the Minnesota Vikings with a chance to win, and then you come out here, and yes, it was only 24-10, to 10, but man, it felt like it was a beatdown. It felt like the Patriots were never in it. And uh, it's frustrating. It's it's a frustrating thing. We're going to get into um, some Celtic stuff and Bruin stuff as well today later on in the show. And then we'll f- wrap it all up with the gambling picks for the weekend. But, man, I, I mean, it's going to be mostly about this Patriots-Bills game, obviously, fresh on our minds. And it's a terrible way to start the weekend. If you're a, if you're a true Patriots fan, if you are still riding with this team going into that game against the Bills, uh, you're hurting today. You're you're hurting not only because you had to stay up late to watch that game, uh, with most of you probably having to work early the next morning, but it, it's just brutal to see the way that this team is operating. It's obvious there's a lot of holes uh, from a, a talent standpoint, but the coaching continues to be the glaring weakness, in my opinion, in the opinions of a lot of people that watch this team. I mean, you started off this game and it actually wasn't even that bad. If I'm being honest, you had moments in this game uh, where, where it wasn't, it didn't look too bad in the first half, uh, but there was also things that, you know, you can pick apart as well. I, I mean, you did start off the game with what looked like it was going to be the, the worst possible start. You had that miscommunication, between Stevenson and Mac Jones. Mac Jones going straight back off of the hike and Stevenson kind of angling himself off. They fumble that. They luckily fall on that ball. So no turnover right out the gate. But man, it just seemed like to start the game, you're going to be not on the same page. Miscommunication between Mac Jones and Stevenson just handing the ball off or a run play. Come on, guys. It's just not a good start for this team. Then you get into a possession where, yes, the Bills roll down the field, and they did that all game. They were moving the ball, running the game, running the ball constantly. A little bit of passing from Josh Allen when he needed to, but majority of the game, the the, uh, the whole plan for the Bills obviously was to run the ball. That that was what they wanted to do, and they were able to do that very well with a mixture of Devin Singletary and James Cook, who I am thinking is going to be a problem for years to come for this Patriots team. James Cook getting better and better 
every week with that Bills team. And he's eventually going to usurp Singletary and have that role all to himself. And he's going to make problems for this Patriots team into the future. Can can receive, can run, can do it all. Uh, Brother of Dalvin Cook. So if you know anything about him, you know that that family's got some skill in their genes. And uh, he is going to be a problem. But you go out there and you're able to hold the Bills to a field goal. So it's only 3 nothing to start off the game. Great job by them. And the Patriots came out strong right after that. That's their only scoring drive of the game. Right after you hold them to a field goal, you come out, you hit uh, Hunter Henry with a nine-yard pass play. Then you're running to get the first down. You get a great blitz pickup by Stevenson, allowing Mack to get one over the middle to Aguilar for another first down. You do get hit with a Trent Brown holding play, which, by the way, if you go back to that one, I'm talking early in the game here. And, yes, I'm dissecting everything that happened, but early in the game. And Trent Brown gets called for one of the chintziest little holding calls, barely even touched the guy for a millisecond, if you want to call that a hold. Puts us into first and 20. And you get the double fake to Ramondre, who he fumbles again. And that At that point, you're wondering what the heck is going on with Ramondre Stevenson. But right after that, you have the Marcus Jones play. I love Marcus Jones. I, I had talked about this before in previous episodes. Talked about this with Andrew about the players that I loved, especially on that defense. I love all the Joneses. Marcus Jones is great. Since we switched over to him and the special teams, special teams I've had no problem with. And now you're going to throw him in there on a little wide receiver screen. He played a little bit of wide receiver in college. He goes out there and he busts off a 45-yard touchdown run, just outrunning even Poyer, uh, Jordan Poyer from the Bills who seemed like he had a decent enough angle to be able to catch Marcus Jones, but he just put on the Jets and beat him right to the end zone. So great job by them. Uh, overall, I thought that that was a great you know, start to the drive. They completed some throws. They were able to do what they needed to do, and they got all the way down. And then, yes, you break off what's kind of a, a luckier touchdown there, but you get your skill guys out there, you get them the ball in space and see what they can do and they can make some plays for you. Okay, time for our first break. But when we come back, we'll continue talking about the Patriots-Bills game here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're talking all about the Patriots-Bills game. Just went over that Marcus Jones touchdown. But then it all went downhill from there. 7-3 to three Patriots with about five minutes left in the first quarter. And just everything started to spiral, I would say, from there. You had the another long drive by the Bills, which was this, this was another consistent thing all night. Long drives. I'm talking anywhere from five to nine-minute drives every single time they got the ball. This one went uh, for a little over five minutes, I think. And they were just moving it. You had Cook once again, James Cook, just running the ball when he needed to. You're getting it out to Gabe Davis. You're getting it out to Diggs when you needed to. Uh, and, and they just kept making plays, kept making plays, and the defense couldn't do anything. Uh, along with, at the very end, it's that Diggs double move in the end zone that just completely left Jonathan Jones on skates. And now you have a touchdown in the back of the end zone to Diggs. So tough one there. They go up 10-7. to seven. And, and as I said, it was the wheels were already off at that point. Wheels were already off. You had Marcus Jones, who tried to take one out of the end zone, gets wrapped up at about the 16, and then you get a nice little holding call, brings it back to the 8. Uh, we, we, we do a run play on, on first down. 
you know, they get rushed on the second uh, second down. They basically do nothing. They get a penalty. It's third and 18. Stevenson somehow busts up the middle for a 17-yard gain, almost getting that first down. But, of course, then they're going to kick it because you're in your own zone. And I completely agree with that call. But even, the, even though the, the thing that I didn't understand in that situation where, where it's third and 18, Ramondre Stevenson break, breaks off 17 yards. So now it's third and one. You're backed up in your own zone. You're trying to play the field position game clearly. And you let a delay of game happen right there. I know that that happens sometimes to give you maybe a little bit more room when you're at closer to the 50, right? Or something like that so that you can have that room to punt the ball. But why do you take the delay of game there, moving yourself back, and and you do boom the pump and you get it to the 45-yard line of the Bills. They had to fair catch it, but you took an extra five yards back on that one, and that's just not Patriots-style football. If you ask me, I don't see any advantage to taking that delay of game, so I don't think it was on purpose. So that's just miscommunication from the coaching staff and the players right there, right out the gate. Right, You know, you're you're talking in the, in the first or second quarter, right? second quarter for this one here. So at the beginning of the game, you have miscommunication. And it's it's from the the execution side and it's from the coaching side right out the gate. So both sides in, in, in trouble, in my opinion. But the coaching has just been absolutely terrible on the offensive side of the ball. And it's shown its moments in the special team side, too. So I, I don't know what to do with that one. You give the ball back to them. Josh Allen and that team roll all the way down the field and they're able to get another touchdown. This one is the one to Gabe Davis which this is another one we need to talk about because we talk about the lack of coaching, but the lack of execution is also another big part. This was one of the most inexcusable moments of the entire game. I'm talking about that Josh Allen pass where he's scrambling out to the right. He's got Mac Wilson chasing him down. Mac Wilson even gets a hand on him, but can't bring him down. And Josh Allen, as he's basically running out of bounds, I'm talking one foot away from stepping out of bounds, contorts his body, throws it into the back of the end zone, and gets one to Gabe Davis. That should not have happened whatsoever. This play should not have happened. The only reason that they were able to get that touchdown in that moment, and yes, there was going to be a holding anyways, so they were going to get the ball at the one, and they were most likely going to just be able to bang it in there with Devin Singletary anyways. But you have Jonathan Jones giving up on the play when he assumed that Josh Allen was out of bounds, maybe? I don't know. I mean, you look at the picture for it, and if you haven't seen it, and if you're just listening along on the podcast or on the radio now, I have it posted on Twitter, at the Claptrap. If you haven't seen it, there's a, there's a still frame photo of Jonathan Jones when Allen is on the sidelines about to throw the ball, and you can see Jonathan Jones is the only of the three defenders. There's three Patriot defenders in the area of Gabe Davis. And the one that's not paying attention, the one that's given up on the play, is the one that's closest to Gabe in Jonathan Jones. He gave up on the play, and Allen's able to throw it back in the opposite direction. Gabe Davis stops, gets open, and is able to catch the ball. Touchdown for them. Like I said, there was a holding anyways. They would have had it at the one. They're most likely scoring either way, but inexcusable by Jonathan Jones. As much as I love how much... They have been playing the Joneses. Jonathan Jones was getting smoked in this game. And then you add into it that he didn't even give the effort on this play. That's inexcusable. You can't have that. And, and it's going to be one of the most frustrating things that happened all game with the Patriots defense, right? 
I, I mean, the defense, in in a sense, did as best as it could. High power offense, Josh Allen. You got Stephon Diggs. You got Gabe Davis. You got the running game with James Cook and Devin Singletary. They have a good offense. Their offensive line a little bit banged up, but they have a good offense. And this Patriots team, I don't want to hear about th- them slowing it down or whatever. They held them to 24 points. This Patriots defense held them to 24 points after being exhausted, after series after series of going, like I said, upwards of five, six, eight, nine-minute drives where the defense is out there just working their butts off constantly, trying to hold this team even to just a field goal, which they were able to do. And they were able to get a couple of punts in there. It's a miracle. We had a couple of punts that the Bills had to do as well. But when you do what the Patriots did on offense, there's no way the best defense in the world is not going to be able to hold off a good offense for long if they're constantly getting exhausted by long drives and then their offense goes out there, three and out. Boom, give the ball back. Minute, minute and a half rest time. Get back out there. Play again against that same offense. That is a problem. This is where the major issues are coming in for the Patriots. It's the offense. It's Matt Patricia's play calling. It's it's Mac Jones' sometimes decision-making. It's the offensive line having its major issues, especially on the right side of the ball. This is just inexcusable stuff. This is stuff that we need to work on desperately right now. I mean, this season is over if you can't figure out how to play aggressive offense, how to make the right play calls, and be able to stay out on the field to just give your defense the only part that's worked good this entire season, the defense. You need to give them rest. Time for another break, but when we come back, we'll continue talking about the Patriots-Bills game on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're back talking about the Patriots-Bills game. Let's get back to it. I mean, what are we doing? You go out there, it's that, that uh, like I just said, Bills go up 17-7 to after that Gabe Davis touchdown. You come right out, and your first play is a screen to Jonu Smith. Goes nowhere. Then you try and run the ball. I think it was a little bit off, not straight up the middle, a little off to the side. Goes nowhere, Ramondre Stevenson. So now you have a third and long, and Jones tries to escape. But he can't complete uh, the the third down pass. I think it was another out route that he ran that might have been just at the line, maybe a little bit short, which was another problem that was coming into play. You keep running all these routes that are short of the first down on third and long. It's not going to work out. And they give it back. Three and out. Now, you give it back to them. And, yes, the defense was able to hold their own in that next possession. They were able to force a punt. The first one in two and a half games. For the Patriots against the Bills. Forcing the Bills to punt the ball. Great job there. But then you immediately go back to the horrible passing plays. You dump the ball off two times. Behind the line of scrimmage. Why are we starting plays behind the line of scrimmage? It's clearly not working. Especially against this Bills team. And when you need to be aggressive. When you need to be able to move the ball. Or at least hold on to the ball. Just to give your defense some more rest time. These are not the plays that you need to be running. The screen plays behind the line of scrimmage. The toss plays that you're doing, counters, whatever, run plays that are going left or right instead of straight up the gut. I don't understand what's going on. Ramondre Stevenson still averaged over four, uh, over five yards per carry. Run that man straight up the middle. Off guard, off, off, uh, off the center, right up the middle. 
That's what I need you to be doing. He can get you three to four yards per carry every time. That bowling ball, wrecking ball of a human being can get up there. He stays on his feet. He bowls forward, and he gets you a few yards. Don't do the out-to-the-side nonsense plays. Don't do the toss plays or the screen behind the, the line of scrimmage. They were picking that up every single time you try to do it, and you immediately go back to that after you finally force them to get a punt. You go back, you dump it off two times, and then another route that's short of the third down on a long third and eight, third and nine, I don't remember what it was. I'm losing my mind. I'm losing my mind watching these plays. These The play calling is trash. It makes no sense to do that kind of stuff. There's no aggression. There's no thought process of we need to get at least a couple of first downs here. I don't even care about scoring at that point. Move the ball a little bit to hold your hold that defense off the field, hold their offense off the field. That's what you're supposed to do. That's what teams used to do to try and get Tom Brady to stop, right? When you're going against a high-powered offense and a high-powered quarterback, you try and milk the clock as much as you can on offense. And when you're doing these little dink and dunk screen behind the behind the line of scrimmage, runs out to the side that are getting picked up every single time, sure, they work every once in a while. And against some teams, you can make that work more consistently than others. But it was clearly not working against the Bills, and you just kept trying to do that. So is that on Matt Patricia? Is that on Bill Belichick? Somebody needs to be slapped awake at this point because they're not figuring out that they need to change the way that they're doing things or you're not going to move the ball. You're just not going to move the ball. What are we doing? I don't know. It's just so frustrating. It's it's frustrating to be in this position. You were six and four. You lose a close one to the, the Vikings. Then you go into this Bills game. You're feeling like maybe you can hold them at least and, and try and stay in the game. But they couldn't. They couldn't do that. They couldn't do it whatsoever. I you know, it, it's it's just it's it's frustrating. It's it's frustrating. I, I can't figure it out what we need to do on the offensive side, other than to just keep moving forward and stop moving side to side. That's all I keep coming back to at this point. I wish that you could go and involve more of these receivers. I wish that Kendrick Bourne would be able to get out of the doghouse. I feel like he's still in Matt Patricia's doghouse. I didn't see him get a target until the third quarter. He caught it, obviously, because that's what he does. But he's not being used in the game plan whatsoever. And if it's because he was a little bit late to a preseason meeting before the season started, Matt Patricia is, is a complete moron. I don't understand. Like get your pride out of it. Get your ego out of it. You're about to blow this season. And you're also ruining our first round quarterback in Mac Jones by not allowing him to go out there and try and make some throws. Yes, I get it. The entire start of the season, we were all saying, why is Mac Jones making all these crazy throws? Why is he making these bozo moves and and throwing interceptions and throwing it when he shouldn't and into places he shouldn't? And you can't even see that they're on the same page with their offensive weapons, all that kind of stuff. And then the zappy stuff happens and the injury and all that kind of crap. So I get it for anyone saying, why are you going to just let him throw the ball now? In this game, in this game against a Bills team, you have to be aggressive. We've said this for years. We've watched teams try and come and play the Patriots when they had Tom Brady, when they had a high-powered offense, and you're looking over at them trying to do what we're doing in this game last night, running little screens, running the ball out to the sides, tosses, things like that. 
And us as Patriots fans, we're looking at them like, you're never going to beat us like this. You have to be aggressive. You have to go out there and try to score every single possession that you have. You can't play for field position because when we get the ball back, we're just going to run down the field on your butts. It doesn't make any sense to play that way because you're never going to stay in the game. So I, 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 it just makes no sense to me. And regardless of how decent the, the defense played, because I do still think that the defense played decently. I mean, you had pressure from Matt Judon and Josh Uche constantly in this one on Josh Allen. Uche had a strip sack for a fumble. That was a great job by him. You you get a turnover on Josh Allen. Love to see that. Great job by him. But if the offense can't do crap, then what are we doing? What what are we what are we doing? Time for our third break, but when we come back, I'll keep talking about the Patriots Bills game here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're still breaking down Patriots Bills. Let's get back to it. You do get that strip sack and you have a chance late in the half to be able to go down there and at least put a field goal up on the board, right? This is another big moment for the offense. You start off the plays with a big run from Ramondre Stevenson. 12 yards, straight up the middle, boom, he's busting out a couple of broken tackles, and he gets you a huge one. Then he got Jacoby Myers with that catch on an out route for another nine yards, and they're moving the ball, second and one at this point. Stevenson gains maybe a foot on second and one. Okay, now we're at third down, third and one. They finally use a timeout at this point, by the way. They had been letting the Claycock go, go, tick, to tick, to tick, to tick, going all the way down. There's only 34 seconds left. They do the QB sneak, and instead of getting up and spiking the football to save your last remaining timeout and allow yourself to still be able to play in the middle of the field, they immediately take their timeout there. So earlier in the possession, they're letting time run off the clock, run off the clock, run off the clock. And then they don't take any timeouts. They even let time run off the clock and then took a timeout at one point during there. I think they let an extra 10 seconds run off before they took a timeout. And then you get down to this scenario, you QB sneak it, you get the first down. And instead of getting up, I think Mac Jones even popped up like, let's go, let's spike it, let's spike it. And they take a timeout from the sidelines with 32 seconds left, your last one of the entire half. Now you have basically no options. You have to go outside. If you throw it into the middle of the field, you're going to get to a position where you're going to have to get up there as quickly as possible, stop the clock, and try and get a field goal off. So instead of giving yourself one more timeout to work with so you can work the front, the middle of the field, you're trying to, to scramble with only 32 seconds left and no timeouts. You get a uh, an out route to Parker. And he can't get both feet down in bounds. That would have been a huge play. You get an out route to Henry. He gets about four yards and stops it with 22 seconds left. Mack rolls out to the right and throws out of bounds, forcing the fourth and six. And then you get a 48-yard field goal attempt by Nick Folk that just barely misses. I mean, that's his range. That's what he does. And the thing hits off the crossbar and bounces backwards. Brutal at that moment. At least you could have said... Okay, they got some points on the board. They mismanaged the clock a little bit. They mismanaged the timeout situation. But at least you get a field goal on the board. Make it 17-10. to 10. It's a one-score game. That would have been huge. He misses that one. And, and, and now we're going into halftime 17-7 to 7 after Josh Allen almost completed a long bomb, too, to try and get one. But Duggar jumped in and almost intercepted it. 17-7 to 7 at halftime. 
So it's not as bad as it feels, right? It, or it's not as bad. Yeah, it's not as bad as it feels. It looks better than it actually is because you can't move the ball, but you're playing a little bit on defense. You're keeping yourselves in this one. You almost had a chance to be down one score. I get that, Bill. I get it. That's what you're trying to do. You're trying to keep it close, keep it tight so that you can have a chance near the end of the game to be able to get in there and at least tie this one up, if not try and go and win it. I get it. I get that that's the thought process. And you did an okay job with that through the first half. But then we come out in the second half, and you know that they're going to get the ball. This is where it starts to become more frustrating as things go on. So they don't get – they get the stop. Patriots get the stop coming out of the second half, get the ball back. Patriots moving the ball down uh, the field, and Mack almost throws that interception. What are we doing? What are, what are we what are we what are we doing here? I, I don't understand. I, I understand that there was a big, uh, you know, there was a big penalty that moved us into a bad position. There, you had some big run plays from Andre Stevenson. They're moving the ball down the field. Mac almost throws the interception on, I believe it was second and fourteen, something like that. Rolling out to his left, throws it. Hoyer almost comes down with it, but he's at, when he lands out of bounds, the ball comes free. You get it back. Then you have a third and 14. You had been moving the ball all the way. And you have Jacoby Myers come on this little crossing route across with two blockers who try to get in front. One of the blocks gets blown up and he only gains about four yards. And now you're punting away uh, once again. So you were moving the ball, moving the ball, moving the ball. And then you get into this position and you throw a little slant. You're not even trying to go close to the first down. You're trying to get a little dink dunk play get a couple of blockers, see if you can get some yak, some yards after catch and gain that first down. Instead of going for it, you're at that moment. And I'm not sure if this was the point where Mac Jones got pissed off or not, but there was a point in this whole thing where Mac Jones was yelling on the sidelines that they need to pass the effing ball more and stop the run game. The run game was not effing working. If you haven't seen that clip, that's another one. I posted it on Twitter at the Claptrap. Go and look for that. If not, just search Mac Jones getting fired up on the sidelines. He was dropping F-bombs. He was very frustrated about the run game and the fact that they needed chunk plays to get back into this one. It might have been a little bit later on uh, than this one, but you had the Bills then get the ball right back. They start off with the run game. They're running, 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 and Diggs just started going bananas. Diggs just said, you know what, this is my moment. I'm going to take over, and I'm going to be that guy. And he was. He was. He was an absolute beast. Diggs, you can't stop that kind of a guy. He was torching anybody who tried to cover him, whether it was Jack Jones, whether it was Jonathan Jones, whoever they put on him, Diggs was running him, and it didn't matter who. Uh, so, I mean, that's he was clearly the best offensive weapon on the field on either side of the ball. Diggs is the guy. So, obviously, he's going to wake up at some point. They were trying to do the best that they could on him. Then you go back. So it's now 24 to six, uh, 24 to seven. I'm sorry, at this point. And they're, they're extremely down at this point. I think this is actually where Mac Jones comes in because Mac comes out with a strong throw to Kendrick Bourne on first down, his first target of the game and catch gains 14 yards. Then Jones misses Myers. With, with that defender right in his face, about to get sacked. He tries to throw it up and over, and it just barely misses the outstretched hand of Jacoby Myers as he's running a cross route as well. 
We're going to take a quick break in the middle of that thought, but when we come back, I'll keep breaking down that possession and more here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're breaking down all the possessions from the Patriots-Bills game last night. Let's get back to it. Then you just throw another screen behind behind the, the line of scrimmage. Why? I hate the screen plays so much. I get it that in a lot of these scenarios, when you have a long distance to gain, it's better to just get the ball into your players' hands quickly, see if they can make a play, and gain as many yards as possible. But when you're down 24-7, to 7, it makes no sense anymore. I don't care how long you are. I don't care if it's a third and 20, third and 25. You still need to be trying to move the ball down the field because this game is over otherwise. They have proven the entire game that they can run the ball on you, they can waste clock, and they can eventually score. You've only stopped them a couple of times. You held them to a field goal once, a couple of punts, but otherwise they've looked really good. They've looked really good the entire time. So you needed to score. You needed to score. There was multiple times that you needed to play aggressive, and they just didn't do it. They just didn't do it. I I hate the screens. I hate them. I hate them so much. Then way too late in the game, they start throwing the ball a little bit downfield. Uh, you're down three scores with seven minutes left, but they're throwing. They're throwing. Jacoby Myers takes that big hit in the end zone. You got Hamlin, who's disqualified for that, the helmet-to-helmet, the defenseless receiver, all that kind of stuff. And you're and you're just trying your best to move the ball down the field, and then you settle for field goals. You settle for even trying to hit that. I don't. What was even the point of that Nick Folk field goal at the end of the game to make it twenty four to ten? Can anyone tell me that? What just to do what to make it a closer game uh, when you're still down two scores, still down fourteen points with what? How much time was left at that point? Two minutes. What? I, I, there's literally no point in kicking that sad field goal. It made no sense. I, I don't understand it. I'll never get it. What, you're just trying to get extra points on the board to make it look like it was a closer game. It looked like at times Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick were playing for the field goal. What You're not going to win that way. Were you not trying to win? Were you just trying to keep it close? This is where I'm getting to at this point. Is Bill Belichick just trying to keep these games close to make it seem like his team is better than it is? Because, oh, we're staying in it. We were only down two scores against the Bills. We were close. Oh, we were close against the the Minnesota Vikings. We were very close. That makes no sense. Why are are we trying to keep games close when we know we're not going to be able to win unless we get aggressive? So, I don't know. There needs to be an intervention here. I mean, I know that people have been saying this all year. I know that people, the, the real haters have been saying that Bill needs to go. Bill Belichick needs to go. I still think that that's crazy. Everybody's been saying Matt Patricia needs to go. I think that that's pretty warranted at this point. The play calling style that they have is so submissive. I they, They're willing to roll over at any moment and just let them pet our bellies. That's what it feels like. We're willing to play for a field goal. We're willing to play for the field position battle. We'll just play defense. The defense will be good. Sure, the defense can be great. But even if they hold them to 24 points, you still need to score. Even if they held them to 17 points, you still need to score. You you have you put up seven points in this game. I don't even want to count that field goal. Field goal meant nothing to me at the end of the game. You put up seven points in this game. 
against this team, and you're getting stopped up and white. You had a chance for a fourth and one earlier in the game. You decide not to go for that one. There's a fourth and longer later in the game. That's the one you decide to go for. It makes no sense, the play calling, the the, the thought process. I don't get it. I, I maybe whatever. If you want to say that I'm not a football guy enough and to get understand the X's and O's, I don't think that that's the case. I think that what they're just doing is making stupid decisions, and you have a submissive coach in Matt Patricia who's willing to roll over and just get the field position back for the for the defense so that the defense can try and handle things. Maybe the defense will score. They've done that before. Maybe that's all we need to do because we're certainly not doing it on offense. I don't know. I mean, there's there's multiple things that need to happen with this team. Matt Patricia's play calling is terrible. There there needs to be an intervention at this point to save Mac Jones's career. I'm not done on Mac Jones. He's looked better over these last two games. He's had his moments. He's flashed signs of being able to be a semi, at least semi legit quarterback in this league. If you if you can't agree with that, then you're just a hater and you have a big dump in your pants at this point. Mac Jones has shown you he can make throws. He can make plays. He was escaping to would-be sackers in that game last night, looking like he actually had a, a crazy awareness level and able to, to you know scoot out of danger. It was crazy. I, I was happy to see that kind of stuff. He was making certain throws that he needs to make. But as he was saying, he was screaming on the sidelines. We we need to throw the effing ball. The the effing run game isn't working. He's not wrong. That's that's coming from the play side. He call it things, play calling side of things. Mac Jones has made mistakes. Mac Jones is a sophomore in the year, year two in the league. He's not fully a hundred percent ready to go at this point, right? He's he's still developing. And then you put Matt Patricia in his corner to be, give him the play calls, and he's running this kind of crap. Come on, man. This is there's got to be an intervention. There's got to be something to stop this from happening because this stuff, it's just not working. It's not working. And then you got players out there like John U. Smith that's not even being used. His contract is absolutely worthless. I thought that he was going to be a great pickup for this team. He's absolutely worthless. You need to get rid of John U. Smith. Uh Kendrick Bourne, they're just not using him because he's in the doghouse, assumedly. At this point, I can't see any other reason why they're not using him. Anytime it seems like he steps out there and they target him, he makes a play, and yet they're still not using him. The offensive line is terrible. The the coaching play calling is terrible. It's it's this season is pretty much seeming like it's over at this point. It's seeming like it's over. All right, on that downer note, we're going to take another break, and then we'll come back with more Patriots before getting into the Celtics and Bruins here on 90.7 WKKL. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clapp. We're wrapping up the Patriots talk before we jump into some Celtics thoughts. Here we go. I don't know. You're now you're now six and six, uh, and and you have still a very hard schedule coming up, the Patriots do. And I just don't see even when you get to play against a Raiders team in a couple of weeks, I think that the Cardinals this next week on the road is going to be a tough one on Monday night. You got another running quarterback in Kyler Murray. Then you play the Raiders at the Raiders on a Sunday night. Sure, maybe I'll give you that that one could be a game that they can be in. Sure, I guess. And maybe they can, they'll can. they probably be in it against the Cardinals too, and they'll, they'll play a good defensive scheme or whatever. But then you get the Bengals and the Dolphins, and you have to play the, the Bills once again. Those three are definite losses in my opinion. Bengals are just figuring their stuff out. 
The Dolphins are w- much better than us, and the Bills are even better than that. So the season is over, in my opinion. That's three more losses, I'm going to say, right there, 100%. So that brings you to 6-9 and nine right there, and you have two more games against the Cardinals and the Raiders that maybe you can get into. So at best, what, we're 8-9? and nine? This is horrible. This is horrible, and it's all coming back to not being aggressive enough on the offensive side of things when your defense is out there holding their own. Holding their own. <sighs> Man, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to do. I don't know what else to do with this team. I don't know what else to do. Uh, it feels like we're just going to have to punt to next year. It's brutal. Uh, Matt Patricia has to go. You have to bring in somebody else that's going to be able to help you more, help Mac Jones's development, help Belichick with his coaching responsibilities, there has to be a change. There has Go get Bill O'Brien. I don't care if it has to be another one of his coaching tree guys. Go out there and get one of the ones that's actually worked before on an offensive side of things. Don't go out and get Matt Patricia and try and force him into an offensive play-calling role where he clearly doesn't know what he's doing. I'm not the only one complaining about this, obviously. Even Matt Jones is complaining uh, on the sidelines, like I said, he explained it later on as he was just getting emotional. And, and uh, you know, that's how things happen in the football game. He was thinking that they needed to get chunk plays. He wasn't wrong. In this press conference, he just, he described what was going on with those F-bombs on the sidelines. He was not wrong. They needed chunk plays. He wanted to play. He wanted to play for chunk plays. And they were just dinking, dunking screens, little out routes, all these little things. And it just wasn't going to work. Everyone and their mother knew it wasn't going to work, and they still tried to do it. It was brutal. It was brutal. It was frustrating. I hate it. I hate where we're at with the Patriots. Um, yeah, it feels like we're just on to next year at this point. I, I don't know. I, I've, I've, I'm almost ready to just kind of, kind of completely give up on this season. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at. This is where I'm at, people. This is where I'm at. All right, let's move it on to another team, uh, somebody that's actually doing good recently, and that is the Boston Celtics. Uh, They have been really strong lately. Uh, I I would say that Jason Tatum is obviously a MVP candidate at this point. I mean, if you just go over the stats that he's had in his last couple of games, the man is on an absolute tear. I think that he is averaging upwards of 35, 36 points. Uh, per game over the last four or five games. Let's see here. He had 49, dropped 49 in that game against Miami. They're going to play Miami again tonight. 49-11 rebounds in that game. Before that, it was a Charlotte game. He put up 35 points in that one. He sat out the game against Washington, another win, because this team just wins no matter what. Before that, he had a 30-point game against Sacramento, 37 before that against Dallas, I mean, this guy is on an absolute monster tear. If you don't think at this point that he's the odds-on favorite for MVP, I think you're crazy. I think you're crazy. Uh, I mean, he's averaging 31.6 points per game, uh, 7.8 rebounds per game. He's also got 4.5 assists per game. Jason Tatum's the real one. He's the guy on this team that is, is going to make this whole thing roll forward. And as I keep saying over and over again, they don't even have Rob Williams yet. They don't even have Rob Williams. So, I mean, as as upsetting and frustrating as I am with the Patriots and how their season is going, I mean, we have to feel great about the Celtics, first of all. And also, they have another team, Bruins in Boston, who's going to be great as well. We'll see how they do. But the Celtics, you clearly have the best chance to win a championship right now. I mean, they've scored 130 points 
over 130 points for the last three games for the first time since 1968. This team is scoring at an unbelievable astronomical rate at this point, and they can't be stopped. They can't be stopped. Now, the defense, we can talk about that. That's a whole other issue. And eventually, I do think that they're going to need to lock up a little bit more on defense to hold these teams to some of the higher scoring point totals that they're getting here. But overall, I mean, you're sitting at 18-4 and to start off the year. How can you not be happy with this team? How can you not be happy with their production so far? How can you not be happy with what you're seeing around the Eastern Conference as well at this point where the 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 Celtics already they have a three-game lead over the Bucs right now. Bucs are doing their thing as well. The Cavs are doing their thing. But this seems like it's an easy pick for the Celtics to not only get out of the East but really heavily contend for a championship this year, right? I mean, you got Malcolm Brogdon, who is an absolute animal, looks smooth every time he's out there with the ball. You got Peyton Pritchard and guys like that developing roles. So who is calling him the microwave? He's developing the microwave role uh, recently. Was that Jalen Brown or or Grant Williams? I forget who said it. Somebody was saying that Peyton Pritchard has developed that microwave role where he's able to get in, get hot quick, and then it doesn't have to be too long. He can just spark something. Maybe it was Marcus Smart who said that. And he is able to get this team rolling and ready to go for another, uh, you know, good run, basically, is, is what's happening with that. So, I don't know. It's um, it, it's We're getting to a point where how can you think anything other than it's the Celtics conference? We have one last break before we wrap up the show. So keep it here on 90.7 WKKL for more of the Claptrap after this. The Claptrap with your host, Zach Clap. Okay, time to wrap up the Celtics real quick before we jump into the Bruins and finish off the show. Here we go. Right, that's where I'm at with this one. It's the Celtics conference. It's the Celtics time. And I'm, I mean, Gallinari is getting back to healthy. You saw him shooting around. If you were paying attention to the practices and everything like that, he's starting to shoot around, getting back to it. You got Rob Williams, who is running around out on the court in practice, and he's about to get back as well. This team is a juggernaut. It's a juggernaut. It, it's the it's the one thing that we have to feel pretty close to certain right now as Boston sports fans that this one is going to work out pretty good. This one, they're going to have a chance to make something legitimate happen. I honestly believe that. I'm sure most people do at this point. There's no way that you can think that they're not the best team in the Eastern Conference. I mean, especially the way some of these other teams have imploded. Yes, the Bucs are going to be in the way, and I'm interested to see how they're going to play against the Bucs when they do face them. I think they have a game with them this month? No? Uh, yes, later on this month. The Actually, it's on Christmas. Okay, I forgot. It's a Christmas game against the Bucs. That'll be a first real test, I would say, against them, because until then, I mean, what? You got the Miami Heat again tonight. Then you play the Brooklyn Nets. Who cares? Raptors are playing good, but they're not on our level. Suns are a good team. Once again, not on our level. The Warriors will be a good one in in uh, Golden State. We'll, we'll get to play against the Warriors again, so that'll be a nice little test as they're playing decently, uh, once again, per usual. Uh, I know that they start off bad, but I think that they're on a little bit of a roll right now. If I'm looking back into it correctly, which I am, they have won three out of their last four games, and they have looked really solid. So, this Celtics team is legit. 
this Celtics team is one that we need to pay attention to more. I know I'm diving more into the Patriots because they're just on my mind and freaking me out about last night. But, man, got to feel good about the Celtics. Got to feel good about the Celtics, people. All right, the last thing that I want to talk about, last thing that I want to get into is the Bruins. And I'm not necessarily going to be breaking down what happened in any games. I want to just talk about one little topic real quick. And that's a player that I think that this team should be going after. Yes, I talked about it before. This team should be all in right now. They are at a point where they can be a legitimate threat to everyone in the entire league. A threat at 19-3, and where they're at, how they've been scoring, what they've been able to do so far. If you look even into the standings and everything, the way that they're going right now, they are leading the way in, in, in a dominating fashion i would say i mean how good they've been at home has been outstanding it's been great and i love to see that i mean the maple leafs are kind of catching up to you points wise i guess but otherwise they are just doing fantastic love to see it great stuff but now we got to start thinking about who they're going to add on to this team i know i do this every year I'm going to talk about who the Bruins are going to go after. And I just want to start this conversation going on this show. I know I've heard it on other shows, and I want to be be able to kind of agree with this take of who this team should be going after. One of the names that I've felt would be a good one for this team to go after is Patrick Kane from the Chicago Blackhawks. I think that this Bruins squad needs to go after Another offensive weapon. Yes, you heard me right. I've been saying all year, I've been preaching about how this team needed to play better defensively, go out there and get a defensive defenseman, and that was going to be a big thing for it. But if you could add on somebody who has a veteran presence and can score goals and knows how to do it in the playoffs in Patrick Kane, somebody who's been there before, and all you got to do is take out a player like a Jake DeBrusque and maybe another caps filler and maybe you know a draft pick or two and hopefully the Chicago Blackhawks can take some of that salary i think he's making a little over 10 million this year so obviously there would have to be some moves that would have to be made to be able to make this happen but if you're asking me and i would ask you right back to any other Bruins fans out there, if you could have Patrick Kane over Jake DeBrusk in that top 6 forwards would you not do it in a heartbeat would you not do it in a heartbeat? I mean, it's been great what Jake DeBrusque has been able to do for this team. And yes, since Cassidy's been gone, he's not crying anymore. He wants to be fully involved. And he's showing what he can be with, by the way, two of the best players in the league in Marshan and Brad and uh, Bergeron on his line. So great job by him. But if you could change the top six line or the top six forwards, exchange Jake DeBrusque and move him for Patrick Kane, I mean, we have to do that in an instant, right? We have to do that in a heartbeat at this point. I don't think that there's anything that you can say to me that would change my mind on that one, other than the fact that, yes, they do have to go after a a defenseman as well. I believe that. I believe you need to get a big guy out there that's going to be able to, um, you know, go out and and play better uh, for us on that side. I think that right now our defense, though it is really strong, we have some some more offensive-minded defensemen in, in some senses. I mean, I know Charlie McAvoy can do it all, but Hampus Lindholm, much better on the offensive side than on the defensive side, and it works its way down from there. Clifton, he's a little bit smaller. It's going to be tougher for him. Uh, you know, Carlo, we need another guy kind of like a Carlo, but better, 
better, honestly, on that defensive side. And I'm not saying that they shouldn't go after somebody like that, but if you can go out there and you can get yourself a Patrick Kane type player who is going to have to be moved anyways, because they stink. They stink this year. The, the Blackhawks stink. And through 22 games, Patrick Kane's goals and assists is not that great so far. He's only got three goals, but 14 assists. This is the type of guy that you get him onto this Bruins roster, and all of a sudden he's playing alongside Marshan and Bergeron, or if you're mixing up the second line and you've got Krejci and Pasternak and Taylor Hall, those are the five guys that he could be working with? Come on. You're going to tell me that that's not an insane top six and something that this team desperately needs going into the playoffs? Because make no mistake about it, with as good as they've been, I still don't necessarily trust them once we get into the playoffs. There needs to be players that are going to – you need to be able to rely on a bunch of different players for scoring. You can't just rely on – we've seen it before. The perfection line can't get it done by themselves. Last year, even when you added in Taylor Hall and you had Pasternak there, that wasn't enough on the second line to create two lines of scoring against the Carolina Hurricanes. You needed more there. So let's make it two insanely legit lines. You brought in Krejci. He's working well with Pasternak and Taylor Hall. That's amazing. Now let's move on from Jake to Brusque because now that <laughs> that would also be just kind of, in my opinion, some poetic justice. Oh, now you're finally comfortable on the team. See you later. We're going to trade you for somebody who we know is better than you. Uh, so <laughs> thanks for all the crying and everything. And thanks for getting yourself into a position where we could actually move you. And maybe the, the other team is going to want you. I think maybe the Chicago Blackhawks could want a player like DeBrusque. But they also just want to be able to move on from Patrick Kane. That could be a win-win right there. So I'm hoping it. I'm praying it into I'm speaking it into existence right now. I want the Bruins and Don Sweeney to be going after a player like Patrick Kane. I think that this is not going to be the first or last time you're going to hear about this. This is going to be one of the guys that should be at the top of the list. And the Bruins should be buying when it comes to the trade deadline with how good that they're playing right now. Yes, go and look into defenders. And I'm going to start looking into players that I like from that side of things. But Patrick Kane has already vaulted himself to the top of the list for players that I want this Bruins squad to go after at the trade deadline on the offensive side of the puck. That's what I want. That's what I need. That's what we should do. All right. Okay. That's going to do it for today's episode. We are going to have the gambling pick, so if you are interested in that, you have to follow along with the podcast or the YouTube. Just search the Claptrap. You'll be able to find all of that information. Follow along with the guys, see how we're doing with that kind of stuff. But I just want to say thank you to anyone tuning in. I really appreciate it. We will be back again next week to talk everything about the weekend in sports. Looking forward to it. Have a good weekend, everyone. See you later. Now it's time to win you some money with a couple minutes of gambling talk. Okay, it's time for everyone's favorite gambling segment. I don't know why it's your favorite anymore. I always say that, but man, have our picks been bad. I'm not going to lie to you guys. If you've been sticking it out with us, I hope that you've been fading us mostly. But another bad week last week. I was the only one with a 3-2 and two record. Everyone else was doing a horrible job. Uh, Mendez one and four, Cam one and four, uh, Matt two and three. So it was just not good uh, for the squad overall. We're going to hope that we can bounce back uh, in this one and actually make it a legitimate competition. I need people at 500 or better for it to seem at least legitimate. I mean, we're still going to play it out 
uh, for ourselves, but who the heck wants to watch and listen to a bunch of guys have under 500 picks? It's been a bad year. Last year, we were a heck of a lot better. Everybody over 500. Uh, so I don't know. This this is a tough one here, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, and I'm excited to get another round of picks out there. So I'll start off with my picks to get it going before we get into the voicemail picks. And I'm going to start off with Broncos Ravens under 40 points in this one. You have a high uh, spread advantage for the Ravens. I believe they're coming in at nine and a half points, minus nine and a half or minus 10 against the Broncos. The Broncos still can't figure out their offense uh, with Danger Russ Wilson. They've been terrible with it. Uh, I just feel like this one is another one where the Ravens get out to an early lead. The Ravens have also been a little weird lately offensively anyways. So I think they will bounce back, but they have been interesting. And so I'm going to say that the Ravens are going to jump out to an early enough lead. Broncos not really going to be able to score much at all. And this one's going to stay under 40 points. So that's how I'll start off my picks. Pick number two for me is going to be Browns-Texans. Under 46 and a half. The Browns are getting back Deshaun Watson, but he could be very questionable as far as how his performance is going to be. We saw how he was in the preseason. It was not good. Yes, he's playing against his old team in the Texans, so he has a little extra extra added motivation. The Browns do have some decent weapons on there. Amari Cooper, their run game with Chubb and Hunt, excuse me, is very good. Uh, and the Texans are just the worst team in the league, right? They're one, they only have one win on the season, and I don't think that they're going to be doing much considering they only have a running back in Damian Pierce. They don't really have anything else on that team. So I'll take the under in that one, under 46 and a half points in Browns, Texans. The next pick, my third pick, is going to be Chargers plus one at the Raiders. I want to just believe in this Chargers team. I think that they've been getting better. They're starting to get a little healthier. They've had or they have – uh, you know, Keenan Allen came back in the last game. They're getting a little healthier every time. I'm still not sure about Mike Williams and if he's going to be back. I don't know if he'll be back in this one. Maybe, uh, maybe not. But either way, I think the Chargers have enough to beat a Raiders team that has been really bad this year overall. Yes, they've had some more recent games that have been okay. But overall, I still think that they have not been doing that great. So I'm going to take Chargers plus one at the Raiders for my third pick. Pick number four, we're going with Chiefs minus two on the road against the Bengals. The Chiefs are just the best team in the AFC as far as I'm concerned. Yes, I do believe that the Bengals are turning things around. That's another top, what, six, seven offense in the league, and they're figuring their stuff out. But the Chiefs are on fire, and even on the road, I think that they're going to be able to do some damage against this Bengals team. So I'm taking Chiefs minus two at the Bengals as my fourth pick, my last pick is going to be Colts, Cowboys, under 44 and a half. The Colts are coming off of their miracle couple of wins and then a loss last week. The Cowboys are riding high, dominating every team that they can. I think that the Cowboys are going to play great defense against Matt Ryan and that Colts team on Sunday night at home, and they're going to keep them to a low score. While they put up a decent amount, I can see the, the Cowboys scoring anywhere from 24 to 30 points, somewhere in that range, and keeping the Colts under 14 points. So give me the under in the Colts-Cowboys game, under 44 and a half for that one. So those are my five picks right there. As I said, coming off a three and two weekend last weekend, see if I can replicate that or get better going forward 
And now we got to get into the voicemail picks. We'll start it off with Mr. Cam and see how he is picking. Here we go. Hey, y'all. It's Cam with the picks for the week. I got four in college, one in the NFL, start in college. Impressive Ohio, plus one in the Both teams, I think, are going to have to make a quarterback. Probably goes to team, I think that's what they do. Go for Carolina, plus eight and a half. The only reason the line is as big is because their quarterback wasn't expected to play. But now, yeah, like he might play, so I'll take those points. Uh, I got Boise minus three against Fresno. Uh, I just think Boise is the better team. The market still hasn't adjusted because they were bad for the first month of the year. Uh, next is Clemson, North Carolina, over 63 and a half. North Carolina's season took. And Clemson should have a few people out to see their best defensive players. Uh, and then on the NFL, you have the Lions picking against the Jaguars. I think the Lions are getting hot right now. And even though the Jaguars won last week, I don't think they've looked very good recently. Uh, so to recap, the Isle plus one and a half, Coastal Carolina plus eight and a half, Boise minus three, Clemson UNC over 63 and a half, and Pick. Okay, those are Cam's picks right there. Like I said, coming off a tough week last week, uh, all in college, I believe. And now he's going for college, one professional pick. We'll see how he does trying to bounce back. But he is technically in the lead right now, though. As I said, everybody under 500. Cam is in the lead by two games over Mendez uh, as of now. So we'll see if he can keep that or if somebody will overtake him. And speaking of Mendez, let's get into his picks next. Clappy, week 13, uh, one and nine since the worst beat of my life. Time to turn things around. Still in this competition somehow. All right, let's go. First, my favorite play, Nick Chubb, over 90 and a half rushing yards against Houston. I'm not sold on Deshaun Watson just coming back and lighting it up. I think Houston's going to really try to keep him contained. Uh, their run defense is terrible. I just see a big Nick Chubb game. Um, my next play is I got sick. I'm trying to decide what five I like here. One you might not like, Justin Jefferson under 90 and a half receiving yards. That's the Jets. I don't think the Jets have that bad of a defense. Uh, I'm kind of buying into the soft Gardner hype. Uh, Justin, he's been almost too hot lately. I mean, he might go for 85 and two touchdowns. I'm just, I'm going to take the bet that this isn't a game where he goes completely nuclear. Um, my next Three are actually all in the same game. Jared Goff, over 230 and a half passing yards uh, against Jacksonville. Jacksonville stopped to run pretty good. Goff at home, averaging 250 yards passing the game. He's got a couple weapons back. I like that over. I think it's going to be a shootout. Um, same game. I like Trevor Lawrence, over 240 and a half passing yards versus Detroit. Detroit, uh, they're actually good against the run, too. ETN, I think he's a little banged up. I think they're going to try to keep Lawrence hot. He's been on fire lately. I like that. And Christian Kirk, over six and a half receiving yards versus the Lions. Lions are terrible against slot receivers. I think it's going to be a big Kirk game. Uh, he's kind of quiet last kick game. Still had nine targets, but I think Kirk's going to go nuts. So hopefully I can, uh, actually maybe win more than one game this week and get back on track. All right, buddy. Oh man. Yeah. He's feeling it after that. Devontae Smith, uh, over that that we talked about it before the crazy one that ended on the last play of the game with the 
the pitches and everything like that. Since then, he is one and nine on his picks in the last two weeks. Rough go of things, obviously. We'll see how he bounces back. Uh, as he said, he's still in it, only a couple games back of Cam. So one good week and get him right back on top of everything in the competition. We'll see how things go with that. We'll get Matt's picks out on the Twitter account on Sunday. So stay tuned for that one as well. Follow the Twitter account at The Claptrap. We are also on Instagram at The Claptrap. Uh, and as you know, on YouTube and the podcast as well. Just search The Claptrap to find all of that information to follow along with us and maybe fade us at this point. Because as I said, we have been trash on our picks. Uh, there's nothing else I can say about that. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode. I just want to say thank you to everyone for tuning in. We will be back again next week to talk all about these picks and everything else that happened in the weekend of sports. Hope you guys have a good one. See you later.